Welcome to the Present Fathers Podcast. This is the show that focuses on climbing the mountain of fatherhood together. We believe that dads matter. That's why this show is for you. So gear up, dads. Get ready. It's time to start climbing. Welcome to another episode of the Present Fathers Podcast. Our guest is Brandon Jones. He is the founder of Be Dadly and the Be Dadly Podcast. He's also a certified parent educator in positive discipline. After struggling to correct his own son's misbehavior and feeling frustrated with inherited parenting techniques, Brandon dedicated the last decade to learning and implementing the most effective parenting techniques available. Today, he helps fathers overcome anger and impatience while learning how to get a better behavior from their children without having to yell, spank, or bribe. Brandon, welcome to the show, man. George, how thanks for you? having me. Thank you, guys. Yeah, this is going to be great. I really love... Uh, your bio is just straight to the point, and uh, this is probably a topic most of us probably needed earlier now that we all have our kids. Yeah, uh, so if you could start with your background and kind of let us know, you know, it's, it's teased there in the bio, but let us know sure. a little bit about, um, you know, how this became your life's mission. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so really, I, I became a father when I was 19 years old. Um, it was one of those situations where I kind of joke that I could have gone to high schools and and given like motivational talks for Trojan or for any other condom company um, and been like, you know, all those warnings that they talk about, well, it does happen and it happened to me. So um, what ended up, you know, ultimately happened is me and my first son's mother, um, we were high school crushes and uh, ended up hooking up before marriage um, in high school. Um, and then uh, shortly after high school, found ourselves kind of hanging out again for a couple weeks and Next thing you know, uh, a few months later, I find out that she's pregnant. So um, it was a surprise. I actually had moved out of state. And so I was kind of going back to um, Oklahoma to be with him when he was born. And over the next five years, she had full custody of him. And I would just visit him on occasion or have him come down and visit me. Um, and then at five years old, I got a call from her just out of the blue. And she said, you got to come get your son. He's out of control. He's just been expelled from school. And, um, you know, you got to come pick him up. I can't, I don't know what to do with him anymore. And so I really wasn't even aware that it had gotten that bad. Um, she had kind of kept that hidden from me, but apparently his behavior had really been a challenge for the school system. And they decided that they were ultimately going to expel him. They lived in a small town in Oklahoma and she had like nowhere to go. And essentially what, it, what ended up happening is because she had nowhere to go, she said, you know, the only person that he can go to is his dad. So I rushed up there. I was actually excited about the opportunity because um, I had been wanting to have a deeper relationship with him. And I always had these very short visits and never really had a long bit of time with him. And so I was extremely excited about the opportunity. I was also convinced at the time that I knew what he needed. You know, I was like, this kid just needs some structure, some good old fashioned discipline. And, you know, to let him know that if he does the right thing, there's going to be rewards. There's going to be opportunities for him. As long as he's doing what's right, he's going to have a good life. And um, so I went up there, got him, brought him back uh, to Texas. And I started deploying what I believed was the best parenting strategies. Many of these strategies I inherited from my parents and they inherited from their parents and um, after a few years of, of using these, um, I, I was a much better communicator. I would say with the school real quick, I want to kind of say that he wasn't expelled again. So, 
Um, on one hand, it was like we were able to keep them in school, but I think mainly because I was very active with the school. I, they were calling me almost every day to every other day. I was speaking with the principals, the teachers uh, weekly. Uh, we tried a number of different plans. We tried um, sticker charts and uh, pulling him out for periods of time where he could cool off and, and then try to come back in. And we tried all of these different tactics and techniques to ultimately keep him in the school. And uh, the school had a motivation to try to keep him there. Um, I found this out through kind of a, a later on in the school system, but they make around $80,000 a year per student. And so they wanted to keep him ultimately in that school system because the tax dollars are basically per head and per attendance. And so they really want to keep him in there. And so um, so I had on I was able to keep him in school, but I looked up at about two and a half years of having custody of him and we were still having very similar issues. And I thought to myself, you know, if these parenting ta tactics that I am using worked, then we would have a different experience. And it all came to a head one day when my son was in trouble. And I'm going to kind of set the stage for what this looked like, just how far we had gotten. Um, he had lost all of his privileges, so I had nothing else to take from him. He wasn't able to play games, wasn't able to go see friends, wasn't able to go, you know, outside that day in particular. He was going to be grounded to his room for his behavior. Um, he had no door on his wall because when he would be grounded, he would write on the walls and and do damage to the room. So we removed his door so we could keep an eye on him. Um, he wasn't going to have any treats. Um, he wasn't going to have anything special that evening for dinner or anything. And he's crying and he says, and this gets me emotional because this is one of the, every time I tell the story, it's one of the darkest moments of my life. Um, and it was out of me trying to help him, you know, I was really trying to do what I thought was right. Um, but he cries at me and he says, uh, dad, I'm sorry. I don't mean to make you or my teachers angry. I'm just a bad kid. And I remember just like feeling like it just penetrated my heart so deeply. And I was like, dude, you are not a bad kid. Cause I could tell he was taking on as a personality. I said, you have some bad habits, but you are, you're a good person. You just struggle, you know, to maintain your behavior. You struggle to uh, not distract others. You struggle with these things, but these are habits. We all have habits. You know, I have bad habits. Everybody you'll ever meet will have bad habits. So you're not a bad kid, but you have some bad habits. And I, I remember going that evening and thinking, this isn't working. Like I'm not getting anywhere here. So I, I kind of humbled myself and I went to uh, a the Barnes and Noble and I bought some parenting books. The first parenting book I started reading was Parenting with Love and Logic. Um, I had read good things about, about it online. And so I started, uh, working some of the love and logic techniques and I saw a difference and that actually started my hunger for what else is out there. How many parenting techniques can I use instead of yelling? How many parenting techniques can I use instead of spanking? How many techniques are more effective than grounding? You know, what can I do to get him to hold a boundary without ever having to become this big angry giant? And uh, ultimately, I've read all kinds of parenting books, uh, positive discipline, uh, no drama discipline, parent, um, parenting from the inside out. Uh, I've read Hold On to Your Kids. I've read all these different books that just come from a lot of different places and angles. And ultimately, I learned uh, a lot about even his uh, connection to me and how important that was. And, um, 
you know, without getting into too many details, I would just say that what I learned is that I didn't need to spank, I didn't need to yell, and I didn't need to bribe. There were other ways to influence his behavior that were far more effective, that helped build his self-esteem and helped get him to want to please. And um, and so after about a decade of, of doing that, um, I, I had a second child as well. My son, Cohen, uh, is now seven years old. And just our experience is so different today. And so I felt the need to share this with other dads who might be feeling the way I felt, frustrated like I felt, um, or have children who were diagnosed with a conduct disorder, like my son was, or diagnosed with ADHD, um, and give them ways to support their child and also ways to feel confident in their parenting. And so today I, I have the Be Dadly podcast and um, I have an online platform called Be Dadly. And I absolutely love to serve fathers and, and, and parents in general to help them get out of that hopeless feeling of, I don't know if I will be able to help my kid uh, change his ways. Yeah, I can only imagine how stuck he must have felt. And yeah, I, I can empathize too with that moment where your son, you know, kind of said, I'm just a bad kid and how crushing that must have been. Um, but I also love how you decided to take action. And instead of just being like, oh, I'm, you know, throwing my hands up, you went and read and learned everything you could possibly learn and started trying new things. Um, so with those new things you tried, what are some of kind of the, uh, the high points that maybe most people don't realize are effective ways of, you know, correcting behavior or uh, kind of parenting in the way that uh, is productive versus, you know, counterproductive like you were trying initially? Yeah. So I use now um, a, a lot of positive discipline techniques. So I'm a certified parent educator in positive discipline. I found that to be one of the most powerful um, philosophies for uh, for parenting and the techniques are essentially ways of holding boundaries with respect. So you are going to be firm, but you're also going to remain kind. So you're going to avoid blame, shame, pain. You're going to avoid um, language that is uh, inflammatory to them or anything like that, but you're going to be able to hold boundaries. And one of the best ways to do that is to also let them know uh, expectations. So you do, you can train on expectations. Some expectations are a little easier to just set. Uh, for example, you might say to a child, hey, we're going to go into a restaurant. And when we're in a restaurant, I expect you to stay seated, you know, at the table, use an inside voice and follow mom and dad's instructions. Um, now, what you can expect from me, so that's what I expect from you. What you can expect from me is that if we're not able to meet those expectations, we will be taking a break outside until you believe you are ready to come back in and do that. And then when the child isn't following those instructions, you simply say, I can see you chose to come outside. And at that point, you take them outside. They're not going to be very happy about that. Uh, but you walk them outside and you let them know you're not in trouble. We're just going to hold the expectations and we're going to hold this boundary. And when you're ready to come back inside, even if you say right now, I'm ready, dad, we'll go back inside and you're welcome to try again. And it only takes a handful of times of you really holding that line. And, and I always tell parents, don't fall into the mistake of repeating or reminding because that's the pitfall here. I, I tell a lot of parents to do this and what ends up happening is because they don't want to get up or they, you know, they don't feel like getting up off the table. They'll say, what did I tell you was going to happen? Hey, do you remember what we talked about just before we came in here? Hey, what's going to happen if you keep doing this? So if we do that, we're effectively saying like, we keep moving our line. And so what I tell parents is immediately just say, I see you chose and just get up and take action. It's a lot more effective um, than the repeating reminding game. 
Another thing, and I, I should say this, because I think this is extremely important, is um, I learned, and this was a little while after my studying, I went to a workshop, a parenting workshop, and it was held by a man who works in a special education department for the state of Texas, but he works for... Um, he doesn't work in the kind of special ed that I think maybe we kind of think about when we grew up. There's now a whole new department for children in high schools and middle schools and elementary schools today that is specifically designed for kids who are emotionally dysregulated. And so when they are, you know, way out of line, um, they have, it's almost like a counselor, teacher, person that can help them. They even escort them sometimes from class to class. They do a number of different things. And in the state of Texas, this man is one of the best. He trains other uh, special education te teachers on his techniques. And I went to one of his classes and what he shared with me really had a profound difference on my life. Um, he said that we needed a ratio and it was a connection to correction ratio. And that if you are correcting your child more often than you are connecting to that child, then you're going to have a recipe for a disaster there. It would be the same if it was your spouse or if it was a, a, co a coworker, or a colleague, or even a subordinate. If you're correcting them more often than you're connecting with them, you're going to rub the relationship the wrong way. And children are just the same. And so what he, when he shared that with me, I thought to myself, wow, I, I spend way more time correcting him than really connecting with him. And so what I do is I aim for getting three to one on the connection to correction ratio. And what I try to do is these don't have to be big things. These can be small, simple things. For example, um, a wink across the room, a pat on the back, a warm hug when you see them. A, hey, can I get you something? Um, hey, how are you doing it? You know, it's just a small connection, but those can really add up. And it's funny how easily it is to get on the other side of that ratio. So I encourage parents to um, to consider that because it had a really big difference on us. And I've seen it's had a big difference on others as well, uh, mainly because the child wants to be appreciated. They want to feel a sense of belonging and significance in the home. And this, this helps achieve that. Um, so I, I help, help parents kind of become a bit more conscious of how we're interacting with our children in, in that way. That's great, Brandon. And it's so nice to hear that instead of reacting with anger, I, I know a lot of dads would have said, yeah, you are a bad kid. Go to your room. You're bad. You know, mm -hmm. and maybe the parent thinks the child is bad. They don't realize that maybe it's them as a parent who's creating an environment where their children, it's harder for them to uh, to be nurtured. So when it comes mm -hmm. to anger, it sounds like that's a major factor for a lot of dads, especially right. Your kid uh, comes home and he makes a mess. You're angry. Right. So mm -hmm. how do you uh, talk to dads about their own anger and how to handle that so that they're able to uh, be more calm and um, appropriate with their children. Yeah, no, Dustin, this is a big part of, in fact, it's, it's funny. I remember I read the books and I was practicing some of these techniques. And, and one day I was like, I know what to do and I still can't do it. And I realized that it was because I had this part of my brain that was so triggered, I couldn't think rationally. I wasn't able to get clear in those moments. And I, I actually entered myself in anger management. I remember the first day I went to it, it was a 12-week program. I paid like $1,500 or something here in Austin to do it in West in um, Westlake. And uh, I go in and I'm sitting in this room with these guys. I remember thinking in my head, I mean, I was judging hardcore. I mean, I'm looking around the room going, these guys are a bunch of degenerates or whatever. I had all these opinions. <laughs> I thought, I'm being completely honest too. And I feel bad if any of you guys that was in my class was thinking of that, but I had judgments. And I remember thinking, 
I don't belong here. They said, I don't, I don't think I belong here. And then they handed me this clipboard and he said, check off everything you've done in anger. And this was like stonewalling, yelling, throwing things. And I went, I go down the list and I'm like, oh no. <laughs> and I, before, I mean, I think it was such a good process that he had me do that in the beginning because I immediately self-evaluated and was like, I absolutely belong here. So um, I did this 12 week class and it taught us a lot about anger management. I thought, I think one of the great things that he, he mentioned in this class, he said, you know, anger management is not called anger resolution. And there's a really important distinction there because you will never resolve your anger. You will only manage it. And I thought, wow, because everybody's trying to get to this place where you're just completely peaceful. And I, I'm not going to say that no one's ever been able to resolve it, but I'm just going to say that for most of us, it's more about how do we manage it. And so I started to notice, uh, for example, that tension in my body a lot sooner and how to say, um, I'm out. I used to go, I'm out. And what that meant is I, I, I got I to gotta check out. Like I got to move away. And I literally would have to say it audibly because one of the things that we learned was, you know, if, if you try to hide that emotion and you try to grunt your way through it, um, you're more likely to snap and fly off the hinges. It's far better to just the moment you see it, you call it out and you move away. And uh, getting yourself out of there is super important. And sometimes you can't do that. For example, you're driving in a car. Those are a really tough place to be emotionally charged, right? Um, because you're trapped and there's nowhere else you can go. And it, it, you're it can driving at a higher rate of speed. Your adrenaline's yes. already pumping. Yep. So, yeah. So, the, um, so, you know, there are times where you have to use other things. And one of the best things that I found for managing your anger. And of course we all know, we remember the old, uh, they would show you breathing in a bag. Remember the paper bag? And it's like, you're breathing, you're hyperventilating basically in this bag. Um, which is actually not a good idea, but, uh, but the idea of controlling your breath is a good idea. And, um, this technique, actually, I did a, I did a optimized coach program. Um, I, I've been a certified coach since I was in my early twenties. So I've been certified in a, a number of different things. I've always tried to bring my clients, uh, more support in more areas of their life. And so one of the things I did was this optimized coach program module zero before we could even start the program was breathing. And I remember our coach said, uh, he said, you can go weeks without food. You can go days without water, but you can only go moments without breath. And if you think being hydrated or hungry affects the way that you feel breathing has a, almost just as, you know, as just a profound effect on it. And one of the things that he taught us was that we're breathing in, wrong. Most of us are breathing through our mouths. Not most of us. I won't say most. A lot of us are breathing out of our mouths. And because we're breathing in and out of our mouth so much, we're actually tr triggering the sympathetic nervous system, which is that tension inside of our body. So just controlling the nose, just controlling the breath in and out the nose actually triggers the parasympathetic nervous system. And I have a lot of my clients do this. We, we take a breath in our nose. We hold it at the top. We take a breath out of our nose. And you can literally feel a wave of calm come over your body just doing that. And so what I do is I, I teach people, you know, we're going to we're going to practice that breath every time we think about the fact that I said that I want you to practice it during your day. Practice one breath, just one in the nose, out the nose with the exhale being slightly longer than the inhale. Now, what you do is once you've gotten that down, you actually connect it to a trigger. So that is the cue. The cue becomes, I feel tension in my body. The kids are yelling. The traffic isn't moving. 
I'm going to be late. Whatever those things are, those are all the cues. The action is the breath. So we cue the cue action and then the reward. The reward is the calm we feel over our body. And so we can create a habit of taking a proper breath if we will recognize the cue, put in the action and get the reward. And so I really encourage parents to practice that. And you practice it again, when you're driving in the car and the kids start to become a little rambunctious, which there's a great tool for that, by the way, holding a boundary there. But if there's something happening that makes that tension happen in your body, you're going to go to the breath first. I can assure you that if you do the breath first, the prefrontal cortex will open. You will have way more logic and reason at your fingertips. You're more likely to respond in a way that you can be proud of. Um, and, and so it's, it's extremely important. Breathing is a must. But it needs yeah. to happen. It needs to happen out the nose. And breathing experts, I'm going to give you a tag. This will help you remember it. The breathing experts say we should breathe in our mouths as often as we eat through our nose. <laughs> That's good. Uh, it's it's funny you mentioned or you em emphasize the importance of breathing. Um, actually, pre-deployment, we got classes and training on if you're feeling depressed to like hyper breathe, like <laughs> to like literally like so if you're yeah. in a stress, you know um mm -hmm. and it literally works because it, it yeah. triggers the body to to bring you out of a depressed state but then the yep. converse of that was if you're feeling like overly stressed from you know the combat scenario or whatever was to like you said take extremely slow deep breaths you count how long you're exhaling it and yep. literally just do that and so you know the exhale it longer it, it uh, a good everyone has a little bit of a different measurement here but six up seven out is a great way to do it the exhale being longer than the inhale is a key to triggering the parasympathetic nervous system because when your sympathetic nervous system is triggered, you do the opposite. You'll take in your inhale faster than you exhale. You will actually gasp. And so if we, what interesting thing here is if you look at animals, birds, cats, dogs, every animal, they are breathing in and out their nose. The only time they breathe through their mouths is when they're stressed. So if you see a dog with anxiety, he will actually start breathing out of his mouth when he's stressed or he's exhausted. So it's, that's the only time they're gonna breathe other than maybe a yawn here and there. But otherwise they're gonna be breathing in and out their nose. And so, you know, this is just something that we need, we need to do. I, I re recognize it's so funny. I did that coach program and I remember it was a holiday and I went and saw my dad. And I was like, I could just hear him breathing all over the house, like in the kitchen and his breath was, and I was like, wow, this is where I get this breath from. And I could hear my dad. And I was like, Hey dad, breathe through your nose, bud. Like <laughs> you do this with me. And he's like, and, and it was so funny. His, his wife says, she's like, I tell him this all the time. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, she notices that he's breathing heavily too. And so it's, it, you know, I know there are people, you know, some people will, um, have sinus issues. So I recognize that. Uh, but if you can get it taken care of, because you're going to have a much better life, you'll also sleep much better. If you, if you, I even use mouth tape, this sounds crazy, but I sleep with mouth tape on to yes, remind my, it. it, I get such a better sleep. Like this, it's so much more deep because I don't mouth breathe when I sleep. I feel like I would just, uh, like central sleep apnea, just, 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 you be done. Yeah. Yeah. Especially with my, my sinus. With your sinus. Right yeah. I, I recognize there are some people it's, it's much harder because of the sinus issues. So, yeah. Yeah. But breathing is definitely something that like I, I've struggled with, uh, being a high functioning anxiety person. Right. And mm -hmm. so when, when I'm, when I'm pent up and the first thing I teach my kid when he's all emotional, uh, cause he gets dysregulated as well 
is, hey, look, you got to take some deep breaths. You need to calm down. And then if, if that doesn't work, I have to remove him from the situation. Right. Yeah. Um, so that's that's one of the big things. Now, I met you through a story like you, you've told us and it immediately clicked. Like I just felt like we were connected and I appreciated so much seeing that somebody else had the same same um, issues, but the same resolve, like instead of giving up and throwing their hands up, you you dove deeper into the book saying, what can I do? What's mm-hmm. wrong with me? How can I fix me? And then how can I help fix my kid? Right. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, well, it's something wrong with them and they're 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 egotistical and they're selfish and narcissistic. And so, yeah, I, I loved that. And, you know, when I hear you talk about positive discipline, there's there's a lot of misconceptions um, yeah. with any kind of parenting style. So if you don't mind, could you go through like some of the common misconceptions about um, like positive uh, discipline and how you would yeah. address them? Absolutely. Yeah. So I think one of the major myths or beliefs out there immediately is that positive discipline means that you could never be um, firm with your kids. And if you actually read Jane Nelson's work, she's she's an action. She's an act. Don't talk. She she teaches parents. You you would be far better acting than talking. Right. Um, she is firm and kind at the same time is, a, is one of her key principles. There's a number of things that she teaches about boundaries. She does not believe in repeating or reminding. She is much more authoritative than people might think. Um, And the connotation of positive discipline is just, um, you know, discipline. So if you look at the root of discipline, it was disciplina, uh, you know, disciple is in the word. Um, It is about teaching. And part of positive discipline is that it's making sure our children understand and have been properly trained on the expectations that we have and uh, taking time for training, taking the time to really show them what is happening and what we what we expect, even using um, when they're really little. We used to use stuffed animals and I would give examples of animals doing different things um, and acting and behaving in certain ways and then asking him, what would you do? You know, and just playing with them, but engaging them in the process of how we um, how we effectively work together um, can be super powerful. And so, so yeah, going back to some of the myths, she's, um, her work is, is, uh, it is not a permissive parenting paradigm that I think many people initially think that that's what uh, people are talking about. Um, while it doesn't include pain, shame, and blame, and we, and there is the belief that you don't necessarily have to spank a child um, to get them to learn a lesson, it doesn't mean that you are a pushover, and it doesn't mean that you allow um, behaviors that are that are unacceptable. Um, and in fact, uh, I would argue like a lot of parents are being more pushovers until they snap. You know, the spanking is happening right. after it's built up, and and with her stuff, you would be able to catch it a lot sooner. Um, and so, so yeah, so. Um, I thought the same thing. My fear when I first got into the parenting books was my fear is I'm not going to become my child's best friend. I'm not going to be some pushover. This isn't, you know, my kids aren't going to walk all over me. I had all these, these thoughts around, um, around these things. And, and what I come to find is that a lot of the fears that I had were, um, they were not true. So ultimately there are better ways to do it. Um, without having to um, 
to ultimately become, you know, a big angry giant, like I mentioned. And uh, one thing I'll say too is, you know, there's, it's not good to be permissive as a parent. It's certainly not good to be neglectful as a parent. And it's also not good to be so cold that your children never feel warmth or that they feel that they must perform to have your love. And so positive discipline is existing in this space where we're warm and supportive, but we're also demanding. We also have expectations of our children. And whenever I set consequences, um, you know, to give you, there, there are a number of consequences that you can set, but whenever I set them, I always use, use language like I see you chose, you know, making sure that they're aware, like, Hey, I didn't want this for you at all, but I always give it back. The responsibility is theirs. I, and I always make sure that they understand, like, you know, you have, you have the opportunities here, um, but it, they don't include shame or pain and they don't include blame. They just have the opportunity for them to accept uh, what they've chosen. So. So I have a quick question, real world example for you and like to get your input on it. You know, my, my daughter, she's, she has big emotions. Um, a lot of times, you know, something very small will happen and you know, everyone else is hunky dory. They're kind of moving on or they didn't really like worry about it. And, and she's just like on the loop, you know, and she'll be bawling and crying or whatever. And I'll kind of sometimes say like, honey, the only one making you upset right now is you, is that unfair to say, or is that a good technique to kind of um, so, okay, well, let me, I mean, I help start. her, like, I try and get her to breathe too. Like, Hey, breathe with me, you know, we do that too. But I also try and help her realize like nothing bad is currently what, happening. She's anymore. making it bigger than, or she's the one in control of how big or how small it will be. Well, and she's, she's continuing to like be sad or angry or whatever yeah. it is. You know, I was sitting in a, uh, barber's actually it was a, it was, it was a woman, but she was cutting my hair and, uh, we were talking about her daughter. And she says she has a very emotional daughter. I said, really? And she says, yeah, she's a, she's a teenager, but she's extremely emotional. She'll make a stubbed toe last all day. And I remember, I'm going to remember that stubbed toe last all day. You know, if you can stub your toe and just make it last, that's all she'll talk about. Well, I stubbed my toe this morning and when she's going, I stubbed it and that's why I'm mad. And she, I was like, wow, makes a stubbed toe last all day. And so I understand exactly what you mean. So let me ask you this question first. How old is she? She's seven. She'll be eight seven. in a okay. couple of weeks. So yeah. So one thing that would be important. So uh, kids, the emotional centers of the brain. Do you know when the prefrontal cortex fully develops? It's like a lot later, right? Like uh, yeah, 13, 25 20, men, right? 25. 25. Mid twenties. Okay. Mid twenties. Wow. I mean, I remember hearing that. That was shocking to me. Uh, your prefrontal cortex isn't fully developed until your mid twenties, which probably answers why I had a kid in 19. So um, <laughs> I you know, only had enough blood for one head at, at the time. That, so that's you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, I love it. But what I would uh, say is, this is what I'll say. So here's a couple things to help with the emotions of a, of a, of a young child. You mentioned, for example, Brandon, that um, helping them get out of that area. One thing is to removing the audience. If a child is using emotions for power, it would be very important to get the audience removed because they will calm down a lot faster than if, if they are using it in a way that gets them a ton of attention and a ton of power, removing them from the area. Now, I would say I wouldn't isolate them. I would remove them. Instead of doing a timeout, I would do a time in and I would sit with them. The other thing is that we can say to them, you know, this is this is going on so long that, you know, it's you that's getting this upset, but we're, we're trying to talk to the prefrontal cortex. 
Unfortunately, it's not there. So we're not able to reach it because it isn't there. So what I would actually encourage you to do is, and, and what, what happens is imagine you push your child away while they're going to scream louder. So what would happen if I did the opposite? What if I pull her close? What if I got her so close that she was on my chest and instead of asking her to calm down, I calmed me down. And when I control my breath, because we have mirror neurons, she has no choice but to control hers. So the mirror neurons in the body and the biochemistry of her body will actually tune to yours. And she's used to doing that. In fact, if a mother is, um, you know, excited, the baby will be excited. If the mother is calm, the baby will be calm. The same thing can be there for you. She's upset. You want to push her away. I know because it's like, gosh, the shriek and the it's so much. You want to push her away. I would encourage you to pull her close. And some people say, well, you're reinforcing the behavior. I don't think so, because what you do is once you have her regulated, then she's way more open. And I, and it goes back to even the Stephen Covey, seek first to understand and then to be understood. If you allow her to feel that feeling, and what you can do is I tell people aim for three emotions. It's the goal of three. If you say, uh, honey, and this is only once she's regulated enough to have a conversation, you would say, you seemed really disappointed in what happened. We're going to go for three emotions under that surface emotion. The surface might say sadness. That might be what we see. But we know that that sadness came from disappointment, fear of not having it happen again, and a bitterness maybe towards the person that she felt caused that thing, right? So we can actually say, even if she doesn't understand these words yet, it seemed that you were disappointed. You had a fear that it wasn't going to be happen for you. And you were a little bit bitter towards mommy and daddy. Does that sound right? Now I'm going to tell you, she may correct you or she may say, what's bitter, you know, but, but I can tell you the situation is going to turn out better because she's going to feel heard, understood. You're going to have a reg regulated her body and you will be teaching her literally through osmosis. How do we regulate our emotions when we're upset by you doing that? Um, that's and that's what I would encourage you to do. Yeah. Uh, it, Normally, it's like when she's tired, right? You've been at the pool all day. So it, everything's just amplified already, right? Hey, oh, yeah. eat a Snickers type of thing. Uh, <laughs> the the give them a hug and, and you regulate is... So that also just happened. I think actually, if I'm remembering correctly, it's the same event. It started in the garage when we got home and then she stormed upstairs and I just went up and 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 said, come here. You know, and she tried to do the whole like, I don't want to be hugged type of thing. Yeah. And I was like, come here. And I was like, take some deep breaths. And then it was in like... 15 seconds tears are gone and i was so yeah i mean i'm a believer i see it happen i was just curious and you answered it for me it's it's not yeah. really helpful to try and logic through it because you won't can't. reach them they just don't have <laughs> so, they don't have they're missing that that area of the yeah. you know it's that i'll, I'll come back in in 20 years i'll, I'll do that with her yeah girls exactly. girls are better at this by the way like light years better like my daughter will calm down way faster than my son in fact tonight i actually had to bring my son home because he was just scream crying in front of his friends and i'm like buddy if you can't get this under control we're gonna have to leave and you know he thought i was punishing it's like no i'm protecting you because one right. if you're that unregulated constantly your friends aren't going to want to be your friends man right right and that's just that's the tough truth and two you i don't want you upset I want you calm and I want you to be in a good environment where you feel comfortable and you don't have to do that. Yeah. And so I had to explain that to him, but yeah, I had to calm him and it took me 25 minutes to calm him down. 
Yeah. I saw a really funny meme the other day. Here's some levity here with all this too, is it had a picture of a, um, of a mother and, or no, it was the father seeing the daughter and the daughter had like a scuffed knee. And actually, let me go back. I, I missed the first image. The, the mother is seeing the, the, the child as a boy and he's got a scuffed knee. And she says to the boy, Oh, my baby, my baby. And the dad comes over and he's saying, get up and walk it off. Right. And then the mother's kind of looking at him and then it shows the daughter and she's got like a scuffed knee and the daughter, the dad's going over and he's, Oh, my little baby. And the mother says, get up and walk it off. <laughs> you know? And it's like, it's also the cross dynamics too. Cause we see, I, and I, I deal with a lot of family dynamics. So child birth order, uh, is it a daughter? Is she the firstborn daughter? Is she the baby daughter? Is it a firstborn son? Is he the only son? You know, there's a lot of different complexities here that play into the psychology uh, of our children and of how we see them. My firstborn is getting it way harder than my second one, which he sees all the time. You know, he was, I, I call him my sandpaper. He's polished me up quite a bit. I'm much more refined as a parent <laughs> than when I started with him. I was a little rough around the edges. So yeah, that's, that's a true phenomenon. I'm the oldest and the rules were 10 times more strict for me than for both of my siblings. So, yeah, um, you, you kind of touched on, you know, the three emotions, but I would even say that, so something that my wife and I have been practicing, our son is 16 months old and he's starting to get, you know, some emotions and things are starting to click upstairs, you know, and we acknowledge, you know, if he has an accident or anything like that, we acknowledge how he feels. Hmm. And I think that is one of the strongest things that a lot of p parents don't realize that they need to do. And if I could give any advice on this one episode, it's please acknowledge that your child has feelings and like acknowledge those things so that they can, you know, like, oh, daddy knows you hurt your head, your head hurt, you know, like let him know. And and he's like, he'll come up to me now when he hits, he hurts himself. He, he pats his head and he's so freaking cute. And I'm just yeah. like, you hurt your head, buddy. And he's like, and then he comes and hugs me and pats me. And it's, oh. it's his way of land, like saying, thank you, you know? And oh, so I, I think, I think parents need that, you know, parents need to acknowledge with the kids because the kids definitely need it. You know, they, they like to know that you you're there to support them. You know, acknowledgement is a huge, huge thing. And I think that's one of the things like when a kid is, is having a meltdown, you know, it's like, okay, you're feeling this way. I, I get it. I get it. Yeah. Daddy gets upset too. You know, mm -hmm. um, I, I think that's, you know, that's pretty strong. So the three emotions is definitely a, a little step further. So, yeah. Um, I'm, well, I'm you could even see, you that. know, you could even see how you lit up um, about his response and how he's been, uh, how he's been taking that on. And um, it's great to be emotionally connected with our kids. And um, I certainly, you know, grew up in a house where it was hard for my dad to be emotional with us for sure. And one thing that we do know is um, studies have proven that if you increase a child's vocabulary, you actually raise their IQ. If you inc increase a child's emotional vocabulary, you will raise their EQ. So giving emotions words, um, a lot of times we go through emotions that people, children need us to label them to help them. It's not telling them what they feel. Sometimes it's asking and you know explaining what it is, but especially when they're that age, at least putting some words to that feeling, you know, so we know what that feels like. Yeah, I, I, was I actually got, I actually go got like a, a little color wheel that has all the emotions. And so it starts with like the big broad ones, you know, anger, sadness, whatever. Mm -hmm. And then it's got like the, the farther in you get, the more specified it gets. Right. But 
So like if my daughter's really struggling to articulate what she's feeling, I can literally be like, so is it, are you sad? And she'd be like, yeah. And like, so are you sad because you're, like you were saying earlier, trying, you know, is it disappointment? Is it whatever? Mm-hmm. But uh, I'll, I'll try and like find a link to it and put it in the description, but it's, it's like five bucks hey. it's surprisingly yeah. helpful it's like a little magnet that. that just has the thing so you can kind of have, you know i mean you don't always want to do it because then it's like For a sure. negative association of like oh i'm pissed off and now i gotta yeah. read the Let wheel, me go grab know, the but, wheel but every Let's, now and then it's a good tool to like help them articulate it and it, well, it's I pretty tell, valuable i tell my clients you know mostly our fathers and i i tell them a little secret here is that this works with your wife too <laughs> if you do three <laughs> emotions yep. with your wife nice. you don't even have to say you just lay it out honey you uh you're looking a little frazzled right now. It seems like you're overwhelmed with the amount of work we have to do this evening and you're tired. Is that how you're feeling? <sighs> Thank you. You know, you're like, all right, sweet. So I mean, they will just, they will just eat that up. So yeah. Yeah. So you said, uh, you said something funny. Um, you're talking about increasing vocabulary. Can we get one of those for Dustin? So he'll stop saying yeah. And absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Justin, I am feeling triggered, angry, and sad right now. <laughs> and it's developing a sense of ennui and, and uh, nihilism. So it's very... Gustrava. <laughs> so, Brandon, when it comes to uh, behavior change and emotions, yeah. uh, my son, he's three and a half. He's a big thumb sucker. Um, you know, throughout the day, he's fine. He's playing, no big deal. And then something stresses him out and he immediately goes to the thumb, right? Mm. So... Um, I've looked at a couple of different behavior change options for him and haven't had much success. You know, I talked to him about it and it's definitely a compulsion and not something he wants to do. I'll say, Oh, you know, that's not good. It'll make you sick more often. It'll, it'll hurt your teeth. And he says, I don't want to suck my thumb dad, but then he does it anyways. It's a compulsion. So do you work with behavior change at all with, uh, with kids? Have you dealt with that? That is a really fantastic question, to be honest. Listen, I, I don't have a whole lot of experience in those those kind of like the nail biting or um, or those kind of things, uh, sucking the thumbs. I actually don't have a lot of um, experience there. I wish I did. I would love to be able to help you out there. Um, the only thing that I know is when it comes to habit, you know, habit stuff is that if you can replace the action and there is a reward on the other side, you can, you can ultimately change the behavior. So you can swap a habit. Um, if, if he had something obviously that was easy for him to replace it with or something, then he may be able to do it. But another thing too, and I, and this is, this is just, I'm not saying, um, this is a, a blanket statement, but I would say that this is sometimes the case, which is that, um, a lot of these behaviors kids will grow out of, and we hyper-focus on them when the phase, I remember my oldest son could not stand that my little guy called it Paschetti. And I was like, I thought it was adorable. And I knew he will not say Paschetti for his whole life. He's going to ultimately one day, there will be a day where he's not doing that. And I'm going to kind of soak it up a little bit on the time that he says Paschetti. And, you know, in a way, how old is your son? He's three. Three. So you might soak it up a little bit because by four, he might not be doing that. Um, And also, I do know that, um, yes, they get more sick, especially when they're around the other children. But mostly in nature, when they're putting their thumbs in their mouths, it's good for their immune system. That's not always the case, but it could be the case um, in some instances. But that's just some perspective. I'm not trying to discount how you feel about it. Uh, But 
you know, there might be something there. I like that. Yeah. And my son uh, calls uh, cucumbers cumber cues. And that's one that I yeah, have no intention of correcting. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can yeah, I have a cumber cue, dad? You, you got it, bud. Horrible. Yeah. I was about to say, like, like, no, I'm kidding. For, for, for <laughs> parents out there right now who, like, your kid isn't talking yet, never stop that. You're going to be so, you'll miss it so much when they start saying it correctly. I'm like, remember when they used to say it like this? Yes. Like, oh. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's time funny. has flown by. Yeah, my like, son, my daughter says everything right now, and it's like, oh man, we really, yeah. we're really past that point now, huh? We're never going back. So my yeah, son's hang on starting to, to do, yeah, the, the words. He uh, Ainsley was working in, with him today, and and she goes, "What is a cow doing?" He goes, and he started doing like all these noises, and I walked in, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is the cutest thing I've ever seen." Yeah. So yeah, I agree. Soak it up, man. Because you might that's, that's be able amazing. to. What you might do to even reframe it for yourself is every time you see him putting his thumb in his mouth, get over there and snap a selfie with him, and then you'll be able to show him when he's older. You used to suck your thumb, and you can just kind of play with him, <laughs> and you can have a whole play it, photo play it at the wedding slideshow. You know, of the, just, the rehearsal dinner show. So he was great. Entire thing of his thumb sucking, and you know what might happen is if you give that attention, he might. If he doesn't like it, he might go. I'm not sucking my thumb anymore because dad takes pictures when I do it. Ooh, I like so, okay. that's got potential. I like you might that. be able to have some fun with that. A little reverse psychology never hurt nobody. Exactly. <laughs> no, I think I think the cutest thing my daughter does, I'm gonna throw this in the hat since everybody did. Um, my daughter, so through the COVID era, every time we'd walk in the door, hand sanitizer. And she calls it hanitizer. <laughs> and it's just the greatest thing. <laughs> because my daughter hanitizer. said the same thing, hanitizer. Yeah, yeah we got to so get great. that hanitizer. It's more efficient. That's what it should be called. Way yeah. more efficient. We're taking a I syllable agree. out, baby. I was I like, agree. I like that, hanitizer. It's some hanitizer. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds well, a little get... bit cuter when a little girl's saying it, you know? Can I have some right. hanitizer? But anyway. Well, I, I wanted to... Um, Get, get us back on track a little. How do you address situations where um, fathers face criticism uh, or pushback from either family members or society regarding their choice to use positive discipline? Yeah, well, that's a great question. I, I faced a lot with my parents. I remember there was a point where my dad, you know, basically said, you just need to whoop his ass. Uh, and I'm sorry for cussing on your channel, if, um, but you're good. That was literally what he said. So he, um, he would say that. And I, I, I said, yeah, dad, we did that a lot. So what do you do when that's done? What do you do if you're, if the groundings don't work, what do you do if the spankings don't work, then what do you do? Like how far, where are we going to go? You know? And, and, uh, at one point I said to my dad, um, I actually pulled him aside. Uh, remember we had a pretty powerful talk. I, I pulled him aside and I asked the question, do you trust me? And he was like, yeah, son, I trust you. I said, well, I appreciate that, dad. And I, I, I really do. I said, I need you to trust me with this. Because I have to look back and know how I did it. Just like you had to look back and know how you did it. I need you to trust me with this. I may have results that are not good. You might be right at the end of the day. But I have to know that I did what I could. And I need you to trust me. Hmm. And my dad didn't really say a word after that. You know, there were times where he even said, uh, th I remember saying him saying things like, you know, my son, he's, he's trying to do things different, which we all do. We all try, you know, and so now all of a sudden he's backing me. So, um, I would encourage them, uh, you know, remember it's easy to comment from the stance. It's easy to be a critic on Kobe Bryant, right? 
But Kobe said it best, booze don't block dunks. So, you know, you can boo from the stands, but you can't block this dunk on that. So I, I would say like my results have, have um, proven useful. My dad's very proud of how things have gone. Um, and he's an advocate for what I do now. And he was my worst critic. That's such a beautiful way to set a healthy boundary. I love that. That is so great, man. I'm, I'm writing that one down. You're, you're a little Thank bit more elegant than me. You trust me. To, 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 the shock, <laughs> to the shock of everyone on the podcast, I literally just said, I'm the father, not you. you know? There you go. <laughs> so, no, you got you to gotta set expectations, right? And it's, it's a boundary. And, um, but like, I, to be clear, I, I'm not like, completely arrogant enough to think that I have all the answers also. So like, there will be moments where my dad is like, hey, you know, George, maybe try this. And like, yeah, that's a good point. I, I should try that. <laughs> So, and you know, you know I'm not think a tyrant, one, but yeah, absolutely. Well, I think one thing I could add here that I think is important. So positive discipline, we, we talked about how positive discipline is not permissive discipline. That's not what it's called. It's not what it is. It, it's what people might assume, but it's not what it is. Um, so if your father, if I'm at, if I'm at my dad's farm and my children are acting crazy, and I don't know how to hold a boundary and I'm not holding his rules of his home for him. Um, I think there's a place where he might say, Hey, these are my expectations of my house and you got to get this figured out or you guys are going to have, you know, he might have to hold a boundary with me. Fortunately enough, even though I wasn't spanking or, you know, whooping his tail or whatever, even though I wasn't doing that, I was holding boundaries you know, and positive discipline, uh, when, when parents are critiquing you, um, maybe they, they should stay out of the uh, conversation about the tactic. But I think it's okay if a person says, hey, the rules of our house is we just, we don't allow our children to run on our furniture, for example, or we don't allow yeah. these things. Um, so I, I think it's important that you're, you're upholding or that you have a system that allows you to hold a boundary and hold respect for people's rules in their homes and what right. you expect of them. Um, I think the critique will come uh, from you whenever your child or your children are running wild and you're choosing not to do anything about it. Uh, certainly that's not a strategy. That is not a parenting tool. Um, and so, uh, you know, yes, you do have to, you do have to be able to set a boundary with them in terms of, um, you know, how you're choosing to raise your children. Uh, but I also think you've got to recognize when your kids are crossing over boundaries in their home and you're allowing it. So you got to take yeah. on some personal responsibility there as well. Certainly. I think a lot, a lot of where like the, the peanut gallery, if you will, chips in is like in the moment and it's like, everyone's like piling on and everything. And that's, that's where you got to kind of hold the hard line. Like, guys, I'm going to discipline my, my kid or I'm, you know, we're going to correct this. Thanks. Yeah. But you know, we can talk after or whatever. It's, it's like in the moment is like the worst timing. That's when people kind of want to, you know, the aunts and uncles and everything want to throw in little things too. But other I thing also to like, oh, what's, ahead. what's your take on like setting expectations for like, Hey, we don't want them eating this or we don't want them watching that movie. And, th and that's honestly, that's a bigger one nowadays is yeah. the filth that gets thrown out on even Netflix and whatever else out there is just, so Absolutely. I mean, we, we specifically ask our, you know, in-laws or whatever else, like, Hey, don't let them watch this or that. Cause it's got stuff we don't want them seeing. I mean, what's, what's your strategy yeah. around kind of holding those boundaries? Well, real quick, I got to tell you on the, uh, on them piling on, I've summed it up to two words, not helpful. 
<laughs> this is not helpful right now. Um, but with the holding boundaries and setting it with, uh, for example, grandparents, babysitters, um, and things like that, I think just really having really clear, um, this is what we allow. This is what we don't allow. Um, and it's very, you know, like kind of have a, an okay list and a not okay list, but I think also making sure that they have plenty of alternatives, um, you know, colored by numbers, Play-Doh, like whatever it is that your, your family does. Um, when you are asking people to take care of your kids, it's like, you've got to give them all the creative resources because I think part of the trouble happens when they're like, okay, well, they're really bored and I don't really know what to do with them right now. And they don't have enough things with them, right? They don't have a backpack of things. They don't have the activities with them. And, you know, grandpa or, gr or grandma or the aunt or whoever is trying to come up with stuff. And the best thing their brain comes up with is well, YouTube seems to keep them quiet, you know, <laughs> or whatever it is. So um, I think definitely arming them, uh, giving them a lot more resources and then uh, being very clear um, one thing that you can say is, you know, with us, it, this is a very important thing to us. Um, so for us, the boundary is going to be, if you would like to have the opportunity to watch them or be with them, then we will need, so, right? So like an if then sequence, then we will need you to do this. Um, these are our expectations of what we expect of you. And you can expect from us that if this isn't met, um, this will probably be the last visit for a while, or this will probably be, you know, you, that you may not work with us if it's a babysitter, for example, because if this boundary is crossed and then we will have to seek out another option here. Um, I mean, I think it's important to let people know what they can expect from you, um, and hold that boundary with them. So speaking of challenges with bound, uh, boundaries, Brandon, let's say you have a client, uh, who's a single dad and mm -hmm. uh, he doesn't have buy-in from the other parent. Um, oh, how are you able to, it, it's hard. Yeah. But it have is. you been in that situation? Have you had oh, success with it? Absolutely. So, okay. um, yes, I've had success when both willings are, uh, both parents are willing. Um, that's not always been the case. Uh, what I truly believe is that, um, so I see parents come at things from this, this fun angle where, uh, let's say that, dad is hardcore and mom is hard permissive, right? She's just not hardcore. Um, what I see happening is they'll often make up for each other's lack. So if dad is hardcore, he'll say, it's because you're so permissive that I have to be this way. And mom will say, it's because you're so hard on them that I have to be this way. And ironically, they literally are fighting each other and creating this separate, this, this experience for their children. So what I really encourage parents to do is to try to find a philosophy, a, a number of parenting tools and tactics that you both agree on and work from the same playbook. Recognize that you're not on two sides of the field with opposite teams, you're on the same team with the same players trying to win the same game. You are not playing against one another, you're playing for one another. And um, in order to do that with that other parent, uh, putting the focus on the outcome of what we are hoping to achieve, right? You know, can we agree that we hope our child will grow up responsibly? 
Can we agree that we hope our child will have empathy for others? Can we agree on these virtues and these values and these characteristics? If we can agree on those, we might not agree on everything else, but if we can agree that these are characteristics and, and things that we're trying to achieve, and maybe we'll just pick a handful. Um, can we also find a place in which we agree on some parenting strategies, some philosophy to help achieve these virtues and characteristics, some bridge that you and I can both agree on. And I personally think it's extremely helpful to work with a person like myself to achieve this, come in with a neutral party. It's very difficult to say, hey, listen, I've got all these tools over here. I know all this stuff and you're really doing it wrong. And if you would listen to me, we'd have a much better kid. That's probably not going to work out very well. It's probably better to say, hey, we both want our child to live the best life he can, he or she can live. Um, and I've been giving it some thought. What I really think would be helpful is for us to hire a parenting coach. And I think if we could just both learn a thing or two. You know, I want to humble myself. I don't know this whole game. And, you know, I, I just want what's best for him. Would you be willing to join me on a parenting session so we can try to find a, a common ground that we can both believe in? And granted, I'll listen to you. If you say, I don't like this person, I don't want this person as our parenting coach, we'll find another one till it works. What's, what's important to me right now is that you and I get in the same playbook, run in the same plays with our children so we win the game together. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, not to put you on the spot, but in like a, a more difficult scenario where one parent is just clearly not willing to play ball. Um, yeah, I, know, I think, think then the then the temptation is clear. Like, oh well, your mother or whatever, right? And or your yeah. father doesn't let you do this, or what? You know, what I mean, like it, it'd be yeah. very easy to revert to throwing the other spouse or the the ex or whatever under the bus. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. It's very, what's, so what's the best way forward in that from your point of view? Obviously, uh, one thing, or I'll say, obviously, maybe it's not obvious, but one thing we cannot throw shade on the other parent. Um, when we look at what it, the damaging effects of bad mouthing another parent in front of our child, uh, the emotional effects are so profound. And if you think about it, it's like this, you know, you're partly made of both. And when someone is hating on your mother or your father, what they're also saying is part of you is, a, is wrong. Part of you is broken. Part of you is not good, right? And so, you know, my son's mother, my oldest son's mother, um, we've had to love her from a distance. She's, had, she's struggled massively with a number of different uh, problems and addictions and things. And we have not been able to be even in contact with her for quite some time, we've really had to love from distance, but I have always tried to come from the place that she has a mental illness. Um, this is a disease that gets people, even the best people. Your mother is an angel who's struggling massively. My heart breaks for her. Um, and it breaks for you. Um, but your mother loves you. She's just not able to love you right now because of her, uh, her not being well. And we, I've, I've really been as diligent as I can to be speaking good of, of his mother. And um, yeah, she needs to, she has some responsibility in all of this, but what I don't want is him to take on uh, the belief that something is wrong with him because, of, because of her. Um, and I think that's, I think that's really important. Now I have, I have seen some cases with some parents where boy, that mother does not make it easy. I mean, she is just not making it easy to just be a good human being on the other side of the of the fence. And I'm like, she's really been a challenge with all kinds of things, bringing other men around, talking badly. Um, I've seen some guys go through the ringer 
here. Um, I do believe that if, if you're of sound judgment and you could hold healthy boundaries for your children, you could teach them, um, you know, these good things without hating on their mother or things like that, you might want to fight for custody. They might be in an unhealthy environment. If they're in an environment speaking badly about you on the, all the time, if they're in an environment that is trying to damage their child from the inside out, you might need to fight for your child because if you know you would do better and you know that that child is in a safer environment under your, under your care, you might need to fight for them. And I mean, that's a hard decision to make. Um, but I, I've seen some instances where I'm pretty convinced that the father should, if he can speak with clear mind and, and sound logic, and he has a good heart for this child, uh, he should fight hard uh, to, to make sure that he's in the primary care position. Yeah, it's, it's a really tough um, thing to have to broach, but I appreciate you tackling that one because it's probably one of the most under-discussed topics, uh, unfortunately. And, you know... I, I wonder how many dads are out there who, you know, are uh, divorced and can barely see their kids uh, in, in similar yeah. scenarios like that. So that you gave some really good sound uh, tactics there that I think um, and, and calling it out for all parents out there who may hear this or watch this. Um, if you're in that situation of bad mouthing, the other spouse is bad mouthing half of your child that right. that makes it pretty personal. Uh, that should be a wake up call. And if it doesn't, then man, you've got some, <laughs> you've got some issues. Uh, I, don't, and I would I, say if you're, if you're, if your uh, counterpart um, is not willing to allow you to hire the, the parenting coach or that, that, um, that neutral party, then you let her choose and you humble yourself and say, as long as I can get on board with what you, if you choose a, a person and I'll give it to you to choose this person and I can get on board with what they're saying, I can accept, you know, some of the philosophies or strategies that they will do. I, I'm willing to do that. Uh, you can give them that power as long as, you know, cause it might be the case that they think that you're trying to hire someone to take your side. Um, you might find if you have a good side and you really feel good about your parenting strategies, you might find that if she picks the right, if she picks someone, they could back you up and you, they, she picked them. It's not you that picked them right now. She's saying things you've been saying. So you, right. right. And she chose yeah. them. So at some point she might come around, but she's more likely to hear them than she is to hear you. And most importantly, just trying to get on the same page, I think is really important. I do a process with parents. It's one of the first things I do when I have a mother and father with me um, is we work to plot ourselves. And so what we do is, is a graph that says supporting and demanding, or, or I'm sorry, not demanding and demanding, so not supportive and supportive. And I will have them plot themselves. Then I'll have them plot where their kids, where they think their kids would put them. And then I'll have them plot where they put each other. And it's a very interesting process to see those, uh, those positions. And then we ultimately have a goal. So the goal is to get us into that place, that quadrant that says we are both supportive and demanding. We have we have real expectations of our children, but we'll also help them meet those expectations through training, support, and we're relentless in our pursuit of helping them do that. That's a, that's a cool idea of doing the the little chart there. Um, I just wanted to give one kind of anecdotal, uh, you know, use case for people to take with a little bit of hope. Uh, you know, I I know of a. Uh, situation where uh, the the father didn't really deserve to be the father. 
you know, he he earned the fact that they got divorced pretty pretty well on his own. Um, and the mother, you know, never badmouthed the father to the kids and told the kids, you know, when they became adults that, uh, <clears throat> um, you know, I didn't need to to tell you bad things about your dad because you were going to figure it out on your own. And, uh, right. you know, and that wasn't going to be helpful. So, and, and the, you know, now adult children, it's very obvious to them. Right. So, uh, you know, they have great relationships with their mother and to your point, Brandon, in, in your own personal example, you know, you're, you're not adding to the damage, you know, you're, you're still to the best of your ability, keeping it about health and, uh, you know, love and reconnection. So, I think that's probably the wisest advice you've given tonight, because uh, it's it's a really difficult, messy situation. Your own personal feelings get involved, and uh, you know that really helps. You have to really, in that moment, offset your own desires and personal feelings, and fully invest yourself in the future of your child. Um, and it will pay off in the long run. It may be a very mm -hmm. long time till you see that return, but it will pay off. Absolutely. Very cool. All right, so my last final question here. Uh, three books that you'd recommend to dads um, that would help with their their parenting journey. Yeah, uh, definitely positive discipline. I'm obviously a very big advocate of that. Um, I think every parent should should take a look at that. Um, hold on to your kids, I think mm -hmm. is a is a good one right now. Um, and that and then, Another great book is uh, If I Have to Tell You One More Time by Amy McCready, which is a great one. And uh, she's got a lot of really good stuff there. She's a student of uh, Jay Nelson, but she um, has a way of putting in her own words and she has some very powerful uh, tools and concepts, I think, that are that are great. So, um, yeah, those would be my three. Okay. And then um, what would be uh, your, your best advice for, for a dad? If you could give them just one thing. Yeah. Um, so my best advice for a father is uh, stay, stay um, steady in your pursuit of your children's um, best interest. Uh, never give up hope. It can get hopeless sometimes. And I think a lot of times that the next thing you need, it may not be a what, it might be a who. Uh, don't be afraid to look for people um, that you can find that either emulate what you want um, or have advice that they can help and um, and and just keep going. This is a marathon. It is not a sprint. You will not get through it by sprinting. You are only you're only going to do this by getting enough perspective to see this long term. Um, and most of all, know that that connection with your child, that emotional connection is everything for them and they need it more today than they've ever needed it before. And there's a lot of things trying to rob them of that. So, um, be vigilant in your pursuit to know their heart and, um, and you will earn their mind. And, uh, I've got a fun one for you. So favorite memory story or something, uh, that you just go to in your head. If you think about something happy, uh, since you've become a father. Oh gosh. Uh, so I've got, I've got some fun ones. Um, my, well, I'll give you, I'll give you one. And this is a, this is a story about when my son first fell in love. And, uh, this is one of my favorite memories of my oldest son. 
So this will also speak to you about how bright he really was. You know, even though he was struggling in school, this kid is so smart. So he comes to me. I'm in a hot tub. This was Fourth of July, and we are on the coast of Texas in a um, rental house, and we're in the hot tub. Um, it might have even just been the pool, and we're kind of sitting there. And he comes down with this older girl. She's like 22 years old, and she's been running around with him. He's probably seven, I think, maybe seven or eight. And he comes down to the hot tub and he says, Dad, I said, what's up, buddy? He says, I'm in love. And I said, you're in love? And he goes, I'm in love with Hillary. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Those are double digits, buddy. Like, you got to keep it single digits right now. Like, we are not. This is way too far. And he goes, he gets angry. And he's like, no, you don't understand. I love her. And one of the guys that was sitting next to me said, well, Sheldon, if, if you love Hillary, he said, um, why don't you see if you could get her to go on a date with you to, to somewhere? And he's kind of poking him. So my son says, okay. He said, if you get her to say yes, I'll give you a limo to Uchi. Now, Uchi is the finest sushi restaurant in Austin, Texas, one of them. And uh, he was like, whoa. So he goes running back up the stairs at this, at this rental. bet. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. He says bet. So he goes running up the stairs. He comes back down. He's now holding her by her hand. He brings her back down to the edge of the pool. And we're like, what'd she say? What'd she say? We're like all excited. And because uh, they're kind of egging him on. And he said, I haven't asked her yet. And so we're like, oh, whoa, this is brave. He's about to ask. He's about to ask Hillary in front of all of us. And uh, so he turns to Hillary and he says, hey, Hillary, want to go to Uchi in a limo? And she was like, <laughs> I love it. She goes, yeah, sh yeah, Sheldon. And he was like, got her to say yes. And the guy was like, whoa, you used your resources on that one. And he's like, so Sheldon, now, now he's trying to back out. The guy's trying to backpedal. He says, hold on a second. If you, you got, what, what color is that limo? And Sheldon kind of freezes and looks at him like, what color is it? He goes, if you can't see that limo in your mind, if it's not perfectly clear. It may not happen. It may not be a reality. And he's like looking at him like, this is the dumbest question ever. So he looks at, back at Hillary and he goes, Hillary, what's your favorite color? <laughs> and so everybody just roars laughing. And I remember one thing he told me, and I'll never forget this. He said, dad, I would love Hillary to the last number. And I was like, I'm literally writing that line down. That is a good line. Yeah, Anyways, watching him be a brain ninja, watching him use every, every angle and, and watching his, his creativity in that moment was one of the, I was like, I literally remember thinking to myself, you have one of the most brilliant minds I have ever seen. Like everything he did there was flawless. Um, and the things that he said, like I would love her to the last number and just, just the way that he, um, that he had his personality and all of that. I remember actually being proud of him. I was also like, dude, we're not dating, but at the same time, I'm, I am pretty impressed with the way that you ran that, that thing. So um, it was just a proud dad moment. It was like one of those, you know, proud moments. <laughs> my, yeah. My Kids got some game, man. Yeah. Yeah, some game. Little, little I was Casanova big. over there. I know it was a, like everybody still like the, the entire group that went on that trip, they still remember that day. Cause they, it was so well played. I mean, it was like, he just laid it out and uh, yeah, that was a proud dad moment. It was, it was actually a super funny and, and cute moment <laughs> um, to watch my little boy. He was just like all googly eyed over this uh, college girl that, that was running around giving him a lot of extra attention. So it was, it was pretty cute. That's funny.
it, yeah. re it reminds me of like that South Park episode where they're like, nice. You know, talking yeah. about the <laughs> he also told well me one, he told me one time in an elevator. Uh, this is when he was about um, oh gosh, he might have been four years old. He told me that he was anxious. And I said, you're, and I, I was shocked. Even the people in the elevator were like this young man, like he was like, dad, I'm anxious. And I was like, you're anxious. I said, and what does anxious mean, son? And he goes, it means spicy. <laughs> and so I, anyways, just cute moments, just a little cute stuff like yeah. that. There are, the, there are these priceless little moments that you, you know, you, they'll stick with you. Core forever, memories. That's yeah, what they're I call core them. memories. They're just tiny core little memories, things, man. but. I remember even the fact that he was four trying to use the word anxious was cute to me. Yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> yeah. Gotta love those little ones. Uh, Brandon, where can people find you? Just yeah, bdadley.com or? Yeah, bdadley.com. At bdadleyofficial is my uh, Instagram handle. And my email is brandon at bdadley.com. So pretty easy. Awesome. All right. Well, if you are curious about what Brandon can do for you, check out his website. Check him out on Instagram. Actually, on Instagram, you've got tons of really great reels where some of these nuggets that we've been talking about, you've got them all teed up, ready to go. So if you're looking for a place to start with, uh, you know, discipline and some of these positive ways of uh, reinforcing good behavior with your kids, give Brandon a check. Uh, he's got a lot of resources for you. And Brandon, this was, I, I speak for everyone here, this was a ton of fun tonight. Really appreciate you coming on and just sharing uh, lighthearted things, heavy, heavy conversation. We got so much stuff. Um, make sure you like and subscribe to the channel for more great content like this. And enough talk, dads. Let's get climbing. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Present Fathers Podcast. Make sure that you subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow us on Spotify to catch all of our amazing episodes. We will see you in the next one.